Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Probably seen a little poem and may not under, understand or be aware of the history of this little poem. And it's a, it's a beautiful little poem, and it reminds us of the importance of speaking out. And here's what it says. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Have you heard that before? Have you seen that maybe on the bottom of an email? I know that I've gotten this several times in email form, but I wasn't aware of the origin of this. And the origin of it is that it was written by a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany in the period of World War II, in the lead-up of World War II, by the name of Martin Niemöller. Martin Niemöller had, had been a pastor for quite some many years when Hitler rose to power. And intriguingly, because Pastor Niemöller didn't support communism. He saw it as a way that would lead people away from God. At first, when Hitler began his meteoric rise to power, Niemöller actually supported Hitler and, and, and was someone that thought he would make a great leader. But soon he began to realize the error of that line of thinking, and ultimately he repudiated Hitler in public. And this poem was part of that public repudiation that ultimately led in 1937 to Niemöller being arrested and put in the, um, in the infamous Dachau concentration camp by Hitler. Amazingly, Niemöller survived eight years of that camp. And eight years later, he was released by the Allies when they entered Nazi Germany and defeated the Nazis. Niemöller was, was asked about this thing that he had written to repudiate Hitler. And I want to just, I just want to quote him. When the concentration camp was opened, it was 1933, and the people who were put in the camps then were communists. Who cared about them? We knew it. It was printed in the newspapers. Who raised their voice? Was it maybe us, the confessing church? No, we thought communists, those opponents of religion, those enemies of Christians, should I be my brother's keeper? Then they got rid of the sick, the so-called incurables. I remember a conversation I had with a person who claimed to be a Christian. He said, perhaps it's right, these incurably sick people. They just cost the state money. They're just a burden to themselves and to others. Isn't it best for all concerned if they're taken out of the middle of society? Only then did the church as such take note. Then we started talking until our voices were again silenced in public. Can we say we aren't guilty or responsible? 
the persecution of the Jews, the way we treated the occupied countries, or the things in Greece, in Poland, in Czechoslovakia, or in Holland. That was all written up in the newspapers. I believe we confessing church Christians have every reason to say, mea culpa, mea culpa, my fault. We can talk ourselves out of it with the excuse that it would have cost my head if I had spoken out. Niemöller brings up an issue that while it's 60, 70 years old is still relevant to us today. Because we live in a culture that increasingly wants to silence voices of dissent and voices that might rise up into another worldview and way of thinking than our popular culture thinks. And more and more, we as Christ followers are feeling pressures to stay a little quiet, to maybe sand the sharp edges off of the message of our faith and tone it down a little bit, stay a little bit quieter about what we believe about God, about Jesus Christ, about the supernatural power of the Bible. And so this is a timely topic in more than one way. It's timely also because it follows on last message, on last week's message about leadership. And here's what we know about leadership. If we are called to serve God, and if we are called uh, in, in our midst to, to be leaders among those servants of God, we know this, that leadership always comes with a microphone. As leaders, we know that we are going to be called upon at times to speak up and speak out about things. But let's be frank, it's not easy, is it? Consistently, if we talk about public speaking, it's listed as the number two fear that people have. And the only thing that goes ahead of the fear of public speaking is death itself. But it's not just public speaking, is it? Even sometimes talking to people who are nearest and dearest to us is difficult even when it's on a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So the question that we really want to, to ask ourselves this morning is, how can I receive and gain both the will and the way to be a spokesman for God? And the beauty of today's passage is that we have people who in their own time, under the right set of circumstances, were just as fearful, just as cautious. In fact, they ran away from defending Christ, and specifically Peter, who had said, I will never run away from you or from, or, or from defending and speaking out about you, and yet he did. How did he receive both the will and the way later on to stand up boldly and speak out about his faith, speak out boldly about sin, but also speak out boldly about grace. So let's dive into Acts chapter 2, and we're going to get the answer to that question, because it's an important for, one for us. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. Jesus, only 10 days before this passage, has said 
to Peter and the apostles, you will be my witnesses. And he still says to us today, you will be my witnesses. Pull out your crosswalk notes. You can follow along. I'm going to read the whole section. It's rather lengthy. Acts 2, 29 to 41. Here's what it says. This is Peter speaking. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has just descended on the apostles. And some people are a little suspicious about what's going on. The crowds of Jews that have gathered around wondering what's going on on this high festival, also for Jews, called Pentecost, have accused the apostles maybe of being drunk or out of their minds. So here's, here's what it says. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. We underline those words. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I don't know if you're aware of the events of the day of Pentecost, but the apostles had been hiding out in Jerusalem, quiet, keeping things under cover not going out boldly. They were still afraid. They had seen what had happened to Jesus. But Jesus had told them to go back and stay in Jerusalem. Only 10 days earlier, when he ascended into heaven to return to the right hand of God, Jesus told them, I want you to go back now and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So they were doing this. And on the day of Pentecost, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. Flames of fire sat on their heads. A mighty sound of a rushing wind came through the room that they were staying in, and they began to speak in languages that they had never studied or learned. People from all around the various regions of the Roman world were, were listening to them as they, as they came out in public, and, and they realized, they understood these guys speaking in their 
own languages, and they were shocked. And as I mentioned a moment ago, a few of them were suspicious. How could this possibly be happening? Maybe these guys have had too much to drink. And Peter sees what I like to call a decisive moment in all of this. As the Spirit fills him and the other apostles, he recognizes that the accusation and also the question, because some in the crowd are saying, what's going on here? What is this? The accusation and the question gave Peter a decisive moment in which he could respond. And so he does, as it says here in this opening passage, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, he stands up to speak to the people who are gathered around him. And what amazes me is how he begins. And this is something that is a great lesson for us as as we examine our role today as witnesses for the gospel, as witnesses for what Christ has done for us at the cross and through his resurrection. He starts by finding common ground. And I love that because in finding common ground with the people who are asking these tough questions and issuing these accusations, he puts himself not opposed to them, but next to them. And I want to take a look at the very first passage under what I just read. It's at the bottom of the first page of your notes. And I highlighted some things. The very first words are fellow Israelites. We're together. We're one. We're brother Israelites. I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, we all admire and love Our father, David, he died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet. I am with you in this. We have common ground here. We all agree David was more than a king. He was also a prophet and knew that God, go ahead and turn the page. God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. All of us together, standing here on this common ground, are in agreement on this, that David as a prophet foretold a time when he would send one of David's descendants to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and reign in our hearts and in this world and in eternity. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God had raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. I want you to write something down in the margin that is something that I found helpful and something that Peter does here. I want you to write the word yes, comma, Then the words, but no, comma, and then the words, but yes. Yes, but no, but yes. This is what Peter's doing here. What can I say yes to and find common ground with these people? What can I agree with them on? 
And you know, this is still true in our culture today, that there are many things that we can agree on with people that we may not agree fully in our Christian faith on, but there are still things that we can find to agree on. David knew that he had stepped into a new kind of faith that was the successor faith to Judaism, but he still held a lot in common with his fellow Israelites. And, And so he said, here's the part that we all agree to, that we all can say yes to. That our ancestor David, a king, promised that there would be a Messiah and that that Messiah, that that king descendant of David would rise from the grave. We're all agreed. We all say yes to that. But no. That's the part where we say, here's where I see it a little bit differently, maybe from the way that you see it. After you've established that common ground, now you can sort of redirect things. And and Peter does that by saying, I've found that person. You may not feel that you found that person yet, but I know that I have found that promised Messiah, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so... If you are going to shy away from Christ, this is where we're going to come to a disagreement. This is the but no part. And I want to tell you about my perspective and why I believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. And then ultimately, he comes back to the but yes, which is that We all agree that the end result, the why of why we need a Messiah is that we're sinful and we're broken and we're hurting and we're separated from God by nature. And God was going to send a Messiah to bring healing to all of that, to bring healing to us. Consider whether or not this Jesus might be the very one that will lead us all to the goal that we share, to experience forgiveness and everlasting life. Yes, but no, but yes. You know what's so beautiful about that? It's it's a beautiful example of love. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In the same book, he says says to the Corinthians, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. When Peter here starts with common ground and he says, yes, this is what we can agree on, he is finding a way through his words to show love. And and I'll tell you, that is so hard to do, isn't it? To pause a moment before you dive in and start arguing with a person. Because typically, I don't know about you, but with me, I want to start with the but no. Let's not talk about what we share common ground on. Let's talk about where our differences lie. And in conversations with people that I know I have deeper disagreements with... 
I can even find a, a little bit of hesitancy to do that because I don't want them to think that I'm, that I'm being political or not speaking plainly. But I love Peter's example here because it's an example of love. Where is there a common ground that we can both agree on? And then we can, from that foundation, leap into here's where we disagree. Here's the ground that's not so common. You don't see Jesus as that Messiah. I do. And let me tell you why. So here's what I want you to write down, first of all. First of all, part of Peter's love was the timing. He saw a decisive moment. He waited for God's timing. He didn't go out and speak until the promised Holy Spirit came. So Peter saw a decisive moment the day of Pentecost, as an opportunity to find the common ground with his audience. This was an act of love. I don't know if you've read the classic book, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. It's a beautiful book, and it's really an awesome study of human nature. And in there... One of the main characters, the lawyer Atticus Finch, teaches his daughter, Scout, and this is what he says. The thing that won't abide by the majority is a person's conscience. Hear that again. The thing that won't abide by the majority is a person's conscience. Do you think that Peter was maybe a little afraid to speak up, even though he was filled with the Holy Spirit, even though this was the day of Pentecost, as he looked out into these huge crowds of people and began to explain what he thought about the Messiah, a thing which he knew they did not agree with yet. He had to be timid about speaking about that, even though he was supernaturally filled with the Holy Spirit. But something had happened to Peter. And I want to take you back there for a moment. As I mentioned earlier in the message, Peter had run away when Jesus was arrested. And he had denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus had told him he would, despite the fact that Peter had looked Jesus directly in the eye and said, I will never do that, even if it cost me my life. Peter was deeply ashamed of that. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus came to Peter and he asked him, the same number of times that Peter denied him, Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? All three times Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And the final time he says, Lord, you know everything. You can see right into my heart, you know that I love you. And, and Jesus makes it, makes it so clear that Peter is forgiven, so clear that Peter is a recipient of his grace when he says, well then Peter, since you love me, feed my lambs and feed my sheep. Go and, and do the work of being an apostle that I've trained you to do. You're forgiven. Your past, including this denial, is cut away. You're free. You're covered with my grace and forgiveness. And that 
was so powerful. First, that confrontation, and then ultimately the grace and forgiveness that it stirred Peter's conscience. Clearly, it stirred his conscience. And now with his conscience stirred, this is a message that Jesus has commanded me to go out and teach others to feed his lambs and feed his sheep. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, he does something pretty amazing. He does what I call releasing the 500-pound gorilla. Have you ever released a 500-pound gorilla? Anytime that you have been in a conversation that you have been reluctant to start, fearful of getting into, a topic that you're not sure whether or not you should really bring up, a difficult conversation that you know might get a little crazy, you've released a 500-pound gorilla. And there are times when, in life, we've all had to release that 500-pound gorilla, aren't there? Times in our marriage where we've released the 500-pound gorilla and had the difficult conversation, and yes, it got a little crazy. Times at work when we've released the 500-pound gorilla. Times with a neighbor when we've released it, or a friend. I can tell you that some of my best friends, my deepest friends, are ones in which I've had gorilla, 500-pound gorilla conversations. And we moved through that conversation, and we solved the issue, and afterwards, our relationship deepened. Some of you can recognize that. This is what Peter does. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, and and look at these next words, whom you crucified. You're his murderers, both Lord and Messiah. And here's the truth that you need to hear. That Jesus that you killed, that you murdered, he's now alive and he now controls everything. Think about that for a moment. It had to be an interesting moment for the people in that crowd to realize that Peter was confronting them with the truth. We have a a teaching in the Bible, one of the two key teachings in the Bible, called the law. And in his law, God confronts us and unleashes the 500-pound gorilla with us personally. He tells us what he expects us to do in life. He reminds us of the things that we are not to do in life. And in his law, he tells us, if you do what I tell you not to do, and if you don't do what I tell you to do, there will be consequences. I'm telling you these things so that you can avoid those horrible consequences of sin. And so even though it's frightening when God releases the 500-pound gorilla in his law, it's so important that he does so because it's an act of love intended to protect us. If you've been a parent, if you've been a brother, a sister, if you've been the child of an aging parent, if you've been in high school, 
you know that it's not always that fun to hear the law, the rules, the punishments, the consequences. But it's also important if we want to avoid the pain and the harm that comes along with running into the walls that the law is meant to protect us from. And that's why outside, if you look at the banners, there is a banner that says that here at Crosswalk, we are willing and we aspire to be strong in truth. That we are willing to listen to God release the 500-pound gorilla of his law and take it into our hearts and receive it and ask ourselves, how am I doing? It also means that we're willing to release the 500-pound gorilla in a friendly way, in a kind way, in a loving way, but release him nonetheless amongst ourselves as family so that sins can be confronted and that issues can be solved. Here's what I want you to write down. Peter released the 500-pound gorilla. He was unafraid and unapologetic to be strong in truth. And it's interesting to see the result. That, that when Peter has this honest conversation... And, and says, you participated in crucifying the one who is the Lord of life. The heart response was very interesting. And, and by the way, isn't this something that we all have to confront in ourselves today too? That our sins, along with these to whom Peter was preaching, also put Jesus on the cross? That the times when we have willfully or unwillingly, unwillfully disobeyed God, our sins that also nailed the nails in Jesus' hands and feet, put the crown of thorns on his head, pierced the side of our Savior. It's our sins alongside of these people that did that. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And Jesus, on the cross, paid those wages for you and me. Next passage says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This was their response. And, and in responding this way, there's, there's beauty to this because it shows us the reason why we should consider releasing the 500-pound gorillas in our lives. That it's only then when healing can occur. It's like lancing a boil. As long as the infection is inside our body, it cannot heal. But once the infection of our sin comes out and comes into the open, then we can begin to heal. And Peter knew this. And this is what happened. They were cut to the heart. Here's the honest truth, and Peter knew it. All of us are subject just a little bit to what I call spiritual inertia. That once we begin to walk down a path of sin, down a path of unbelief, 
We get more and more used to that path of sin and unbelief. We begin to defend it and rationalize it. It becomes part of our daily habits. And as we move in that direction of our sin, it gets more and more and more comfortable. That sin becomes our comfort zone. And the inertia carries us forward. An object in motion stays in motion. And so sometimes the reason that we have to speak the truth in love is because we know that human nature is prone to just this, the spiritual inertia, this putting ourselves into the comfort zone. And once we arrive in that comfort zone, it's comfortable. So we don't necessarily want to be shaken out of that comfort zone. The people that Peter was talking to we're in a type of comfort zone. You are in a type of comfort zone as you think through your life and your particular habitual sins that you're prone to, that you defend, that you rationalize, that you move in the direction of, and that you feel the inertia of, you feel the gravitational pull of. And sometimes the only thing that can shake us out of that inertia, that comfort zone, is the 500-pound gorilla. There, there's a saying, and I, I believe it's true, that it's only when the pain of our current situation begins to exceed the pain of the perceived change that we will begin to change. Do you hear that? Let me say that again. It's only when the pain of where we are now in our comfort zone, begins to get so great that we perceive it as being greater to a greater pain to stay here than to move forward and change something. Only then will we change. And that's where speaking the truth in love becomes so valuable because it helps us sometimes to realize that we are creating the pain that we're experiencing in life. That rather than pointing fingers outward and blaming others and trying to make others responsible for our pain, that ultimately we look within our own hearts, our own minds, our own ways and say, maybe I'm creating some of this pain. And we realize that what's needed most of all is truth. Loving truth told in a loving way. That's what Peter did for these people. And it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? In other words, what changes do we need to make? Let's write this down. Peter cared about what was best for these people. This is where it came from for Peter. Love. So he spoke out in a way that afflicted the comfortable. You probably know this, having been a coach, having been coached for many years, the best coaches have a clear goal. When they're teaching, when they're talking, when they're coaching, they know exactly what they're aiming for in the individual player, with the team. And this is true of Peter here. Peter, as the coach, knows exactly the goal that he's shooting for in 
the hearts of this crowd. And that goal is repentance. Let's take a look. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Man, if you didn't believe that Peter was doing this because he cared deeply for these people, reading that last passage, how, how can you see it any other way? He warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And the way that he leads them to repentance is not only through the law, but even more importantly through the gospel, that second great teaching of the Bible where he reminds them, as he was first reminded by Jesus of his forgiveness, that Jesus died and he rose again, and the best way the power of the resurrection carries forward in our lives today is we don't have to carry our baggage around with us anymore. We're forgiven. God's grace covers our sins, and he releases us and purifies us from all sin. It's why he says, repent and be baptized. Because he wants them to actually experience this forgiveness through the waters of baptism powerfully as the word and the water are combined to have their sins washed away and to realize that this is pivotal. This is truly a decisive moment because through the teaching of God's law, here's the truth, and through the teaching of God's gospel, Here's also the truth. Your Savior Jesus came, and he died, and he rose again, and you're forgiven, truly, deeply forgiven for every sin. Every sin. That Jesus, as Jonathan said earlier, was the perfect sacrifice for all your sins. That Jesus' resurrection shows that God has fully accepted his payment for your sins. And that the power of that resurrection carries down to you today. The power of that forgiveness is yours right now. Notice, I, I want you to circle some words. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Circle these words. Every one of you. And why are those words important? Because... Envision Peter standing, looking out across these, this crowd of people fr from all around the Roman world and, and looking them each momentarily in the eyes and saying, this forgiveness that Jesus has won is for every one of you. Not a one of you was left out. Not a one of you can say, Jesus' blood does not cleanse me. Jesus' resurrection has no power over me. Because this gospel message is for you. This Jesus, this Savior, this Messiah came for you personally. Write this down. Peter called his audience toward personal repentance and God's promise of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Peter was a dealer of hope. 
And, and when we think of ourselves today, that's what we are. We are dealers of hope. We have this beautiful gospel message. We have this wonderful Savior named Jesus that through our words, as we share the gospel, we can deal hope to people that they don't have to live stuck in their guilt, their shame, their past. That every one of us gets a fresh start, and if need be, multiple fresh starts. And that we can move forward and have a better, stronger life here and ultimately have a wonderful life in eternity with our Savior Jesus. And we believe, we believe that the creator of life itself is the best designer of our lifestyle. As we live here, we will let that wonderful creator and savior God design for us through the working of his Holy Spirit a brand new life for us because his forgiveness is the way forward. That's the power of the resurrection. And that's why Jesus says to us, you will be my witnesses. Take this message, rise up, and speak. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, what an amazing message that you've given us. What an amazing Savior that you've given us. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you first of all that we have forgiveness, just as the people in this crowd had your forgiveness as Peter preached to them. We thank you that we no longer have to live in our past with our guilt and our shame and be weighed down by that, but that we are freed from all that, unshackled from all that. We have the chance to live a brand new life and to have eternal life with you because of all that Jesus has done for us. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I pray that this message would so inject itself into our hearts that we can't help but tell others about it. That as we hear this message for our day, our, ourselves today, we think of people in our lives that you have placed there and that we rise up and we speak to them about Jesus and their forgiveness and the hope that they have because of the resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. At the bottom of the second side of your crosswalk notes, you'll notice a verse there, Psalm 71:15. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. That tells you the answer to how do I rise up and speak, speak out. It's when our hearts and minds are so filled with what God has given us, that he's given us so much, his saving acts on our behalf, his death, his resurrection, his forgiveness, love, and grace. When our hearts get filled with that, it will overflow out into the hearts and minds and lives of others around us. I'm going to be up here after the service. If you want to be prayed with, if there's um, anything that you want to ask about the message, come on up. I want to send you out into your week with the Lord's blessing. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you back next week.